Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Shall we just commit this time to the Lord once again? I just want to say, Father God, I want to thank you for this opportunity to stand in this place and share your word and what I sense you are saying with your people. Lord Jesus, you are the good shepherd. You are the one who, when your voice is heard, Lord Jesus, your sheep hear your voice and you know them and they follow you. And I want to pray that in all I say this morning, Father, that, Lord Jesus, your voice would be heard. That your sheep, that you know, would follow your word. Speak to our hearts this morning, Father God. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We've been talking a few weeks now about various ways, but the word that came up and I was reminded of this morning is the word, the call. Uh, A few weeks ago, we spoke about the fact that, hey, God is not done with us yet. Regardless of our season of life, God has still got plans for you. He still wants to work in your life and to produce fruitfulness in and through your life beyond what you've experienced before. Luke, in my office is a horn. Would you bring it to me, please? The one on the shelf over there. Just remembered something. We also spoke about the call to intimacy, that there is a call from the heart of God calling us deeper into relationship with Him, calling us into that purpose. But really, this is, he, He's calling us into a desire for more of Him. He's calling us into a deeper and a more intimate relationship than we've experienced before. Most of you think you do. Who would be, you know, blows. He's calling us, and there's this, this call from the Lord. And you could say this is at any time, at any space in our lives. God is calling and He's wanting more. He's wanting greater intimacy. And I, I, I bear witness with that. But there really is a prophetic sense that, listen, there are things on the horizon that we are not ready for. There are things on the horizon that God is calling us to step up and to step into so that we are able not only to handle those things well and come through them, for our own lives and our own situation and our own families, but so that in the midst of these situations, we can be a blessing and a support and a help to other people by the grace and the power of God. Amen? And so I want to say to you this morning, there are three things I want to accomplish here this morning so that you're all aware and we can tick them off our list as we go along. The first is this. I want to invite you all to a season of fasting and prayer. The second thing is I want to show you that the way we come to God in prayer really matters. And thirdly, I want to share with you that our thoughts and what our thoughts and attitudes should be as we come into a season of fasting and prayer. We want to talk about fasting and prayer and I invite you into that this morning. We're going to look at the fact that as we come, there are certain things that God does not regard, certain prayers, certain ways that we come to God that are just not acceptable to Him. And so... Thirdly, how should we therefore come to Him as we draw near to Him? Since the beginning of the year, the church leaders, the ministry team here, have been led by the Lord that on, on every Tuesday we come together, we fast together, we pray, we spend time listening to the Lord. And I want to tell you, it's a small team, but those times have been rich. They've been rich in the presence of God. When we come together to, to fast and to pray together, Something special happens. I don't quite understand the dynamics of it. I think if I did, I would manipulate it and work it. God doesn't work that way. But there's something very precious that's been happening. And as we met at our Tuesday night prayer meeting last week, there was just a real sense that we should open this up. That what's going on has been a really blessed time. You know, the, the essence that's coming out of those times of prayer and fasting together is that God has been saying to us that this is going to be a season of greater sacrifice. A season of greater sacrifice. What does that mean? That means a level of availability to Him that takes us beyond the comfortable place where we found ourselves for a long time. There's going to require more of us, a greater fervency, a greater desire. We're asking and we're praying for a fresh zeal and a fresh passion for the Lord and for the things of God. 
And He is wanting more from us. And here's the beautiful thing. He is in this time and season giving us both the desire and the capacity to press in for more. And I'm beginning to see God work in this area, in my own heart and life, in my personal family, and in our ministry teams. And we invited the Tuesday evening onto this, and it was unanimous, saying, hey, we want to be a part of this as the, as the prayer group that gather every Tuesday, but it was unanimous. We should really open this up to the whole church, that we can all row together and we can all be a part of this. And it's important that you understand what I'm doing here this morning. I want to invite you into a season. It's not predetermined. I'm not saying this week and four weeks or the month of February or for the next six months. I don't know. But for a while, for a season, we want to invite you into a space where you may want to do more days than one day a week. But where we as a fellowship are committed to saying, hey, on Tuesdays, we want to fast and pray together. Hear from the Lord. Seek His face. Allow Him to work and minister into our hearts so that those sacrifices that need to be made are made with love. And they become offerings of worship as we lay aside time or we set aside agendas or reprioritize our lives to spend that time in His presence so that He can do something wonderful in us. And today I want to invite you to do the same. I want you to come and join the season of fasting and prayer with us. But not only that, I want to continue to invite you. If you are going to be fasting and praying on a Tuesday, come and join us on a Tuesday night. Come and be with us. Come and be together. Come and spend time. What we do on a Tuesday is we worship, we pray, we listen to the Lord. Sometimes we make a lot of noise. Sometimes we get very quiet. But it's really good to be together. And here's the amazing thing. Nothing galvanizes relationships quite like shared experiences. When we are hearing God together, we flow together so much better. When we are hearing what the Spirit of the Lord is saying and allowing the gifts of the Spirit to manifest and even work through us as we learn how to engage with Him and with His gifts, we grow. We become more sensitive to His Spirit. Those unctions begin to start happening outside the confines of that meeting. And we begin to grow in our ways of being led by the Lord. So here's the first thing that I wanted to accomplish this morning. I want to invite you into a season of fasting. Every Tuesday we are going to be fasting. How much you want to fast, two, three meals a day, the whole day, however you want to do it. I want to encourage you also that this is not hunger strike stuff. A fast where we are not spending time in prayer is simply a hunger strike. So when I fast, I generally try. I stay off my social media platforms, stay away from TV. I try and stay away from things that are going to just get me invested in something that is unfruitful to what I'm trying to accomplish. Amen? So come and join us. And that's the first thing I wanted to share with you this morning. Are you all with me? All right. As we enter the season of fasting and prayer, I also want to say this, and this is what the Lord impressed on my heart, that the attitudes and the motives of our hearts as we do this and we begin to engage with God in this way are of vital importance. And this is perhaps the first area where God is going to begin to work. We're going to try as best we can to come in sincerity when we come before the Lord and to fast and to pray. I mean, we always would do so, but there's so often things in our own hearts and lives that we can't see that are getting in the way. Our attitudes and our motives will determine the fruitfulness of our prayer and devotion. Will determine what happens in us and through us in this time and this season. And this is what we want to avoid. I want to read you a portion of scripture. And I'm reading this portion of scripture to say to you, this is what we want to avoid. As we come to a time of dedication, of greater sacrifice, of wanting to do a spiritual exercise, Isaiah 29, 13 is what we want to avoid, where God says through his prophet, these people say they are mine, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing more than man-made rules learned by rote. That's Isaiah 29, 13. Let me put this another way. This is called professional Christianity. What is professional Christianity? Well, when you're a professional at something... You understand how it works and you know what to do and you simply get on and do it. Right? Where's Carmen? She's not here today, but oh, she's, she's in the Sunday school. Carmen is a lawyer. She did, where are you? Oh, there you are. Carmen. Carmen is, 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 
professional lawyer. She understands how the law works. She specializes in specific areas. And so she can get on and do the work. You know, there are other people that are professional plumbers. They know how things work. And boy, do we appreciate them when their services are required. Now, when it comes to being Christians, you know that we can become professional Christians. When you learn how to do some things for the first time, there's excitement about them. There's a sense of vulnerability. There's, there's enjoyment and pleasure. When we're learning how to worship, when we're learning how to pray, and we see God answer our prayers, there's an excitement in that. There's this life and this vitality. When we pray for somebody, it needs to get to happen begin to share the gospel and we can lead someone to the Lord. These are exciting things. We come together to church. We enjoy praise and worship together. But you know, over time, we can just become so accustomed to doing the things that we become professional Christian. We even take on a whole new language called Christianese. How are you? Blessed to be stressed. God bless you. At the bottom of your email, blessings. We become so accustomed to doing the things, both corporately and even in our quiet times, that we can go through the motions of what we know is we come to church, we pray our prayers, we read our scriptures, but the love, the connection, the intimacy is not what it was, what it could be or what it should be. We're not really being moved or deeply challenged. The whole idea, there was, a, there was a phrase that was so popular many years ago, being sold out for Jesus. We can very quickly become so professional that we keep Jesus neatly and tidily in his box. It's a beautiful box. And he's packaged with all sorts of nice things so that he doesn't get hurt if our lives get shaken around. But he's in the box and he's got his place and everything else has its place. And this is kind of what the scripture is talking about. We can get to the place where... We're doing the stuff, but our hearts are not. We're trying to get them engaged, but in truth, if we look at the fruit, we're not being changed. We don't feel like we're growing. We're not emotionally engaged. And there's something in us that just knows that there is more. None of us want this, and God doesn't want this. So how do we evaluate our lives according to the scripture? Well, think about your devotional life, your prayer life, your worship life. What does it look like? What does it feel like outside of the confines of this religious meeting or an activity? What's your daily life like? Your daily walk with Jesus like? What's that relationship? Are you hearing his voice? Are you sensing his unction? Because really what we're talking about here is not doing all the right things at all the right times. We're talking about a heart that longs, cries out for, is thirsty and hungry for intimate relationship with God and that will be satisfied with nothing less. That recognizes and looks for the promptings of His Spirit with a heart attitude that says, Father, I just long to flow and obey with you, obey you, flow with you and obey you. We've been talking for a while, as I've said, God is pursuing us. He's not done yet. He's calling us deeper. And I want to say God is working. God is working. We're hearing these messages. And I sense there are things happening in your heart. And I know that there are things happening in my heart. A growing dissatisfaction with the status quo. A realization that if I really do want to go further, it's going to cost me. A realization that if we're a spiritual family, are going to climb higher and achieve the greater purposes and plans that God has for us, it's going to cost us. But that that pearl of great price is worth it. And that is what is growing, that desire for something greater. A big part of what God is doing is helping us to deal with the attitudes and the motives of our hearts that we so often are blind to, that we can't really see because we've just become so professional. We're doing all the right things. And primarily this will revolve around bringing us out of our fixation with our own well-being. This is what really happens when we begin to get into the state of professional Christianity. When we begin to get into the state where we're just going through the motions. At the end of the day, we are no longer living truly and sincerely to, 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 
to bless the Lord and to see His plans and purposes fulfilled. We are living truly and sincerely to do things that make us feel good, make us feel accepted by God, make us feel that He is happy with us, make us feel that we are doing enough. And it's almost as if it's no longer about Him, but it's become about our well-being. And we see this in our prayers. We see this in the way our prayers escalate when things are not going well. We see this in the way we just go about life. One of the reasons fasting is such a powerful discipline is because there is this strange correlation between having hungry bellies and having hungry hearts. Have you noticed that? Now, Siobhan shared some things with me about this the other day, and I was so blessed by them. I've asked him to come and share them with you this morning. So I've asked him, take five minutes and just come and share this, this thought with us because you did such a beautiful job talking about hungry bellies and hungry hearts. <laughs> yeah, so firstly, fasting is, is, is not a natural thing, just, just so that we're all clear on that. It's the natural thing to eat. Amen. 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 Um, not eating is not natural. And so, Pastor, you just spoke about a protest, a hunger protest, a hunger strike. And that's essentially what we are saying when we refuse to eat. And so, David, you see David when he loses his son? He doesn't go and feast like we do. We get some horses and stuff when someone dies. They, they fast because they're saying to the Lord, death is unnatural. And so I'm going to do something unnatural as a response to what I've just experienced. And so when you are not hungering for the Lord, what do we do? We say, okay, Lord, I'm, going to, I'm desperate for you, so I'm going to stop feeding this. Because this has a way of dulling my senses for you. And so as you fast, <laughs> that stomach is going to like make a sound. And there's a scriptural, con- that's deep calling to deep, that idea. <laughs> What's happening is, that's supposed to signal a reminder to you, in your physical body, that I'm hungry for something more than food. I'm hungry for the Lord. And so I will withhold food, because I want something greater than that. And so that's what we're doing when we fast. We're actually saying to our bodies, no. I know you're calling out for that thing that is natural, but there's something else I want. And I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, you hear that sound, that's intercession. I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm willing to do unnatural things so that your kingdom would come. Because ultimately, that's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, 5, maybe 6, Stephen, help me. Luke chapter 6, when he's talking about fasting. The Pharisees asked Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus' response is, why would they fast? I'm here. The bridegroom is with them. But there will come a time when I leave, then they'll fast. Why? Because it's unnatural for him not to be with us. It's the way he set it up. He wants to be with us. And so our fasting is a heart cry, a lamentation. God, we are hungry for you. I want you so badly that I'm willing to give up food in order to do it. Obviously, there's a lot more context and heart attitude that goes into it. It's not just about withholding food. It's I'm withholding food because I want something more. And the way you do that is you don't eat. And when that temptation comes to eat, you say to yourself, no, Lord, I can't. My body, no. There's something else I'm reaching out for. And if you fail, just a side note, if you fail, it should send yourself as a reminder, it should remind you, I'm not there yet. Not I'm condemned. It's my expectation is not deep enough yet for me to withhold these things. And so sometimes when we break our fast before we said we would, and it's just a reminder, my expectation is here, and my ability is not here yet. I'm not desperate enough. And so you continue to practice fasting so that your desperation will increase until you get to the point where you say, God, now we are really crying out for you. We really want you to come. And he answers that. We're not manipulating him, but sometimes God wants to see how desperate we are. How desperate are we for the kingdom? If we're not that desperate, then we will, we will just continue doing what we're doing. But if we are, we'll do crazy things. 
like stop eating. And as a result, God would honor them. Amen? Thank you, Siobhan. I just really like the way he puts that. It's just a beautiful, simple thing. We're willing to do unnatural things because we're after supernatural things. A beautiful way of looking at it. Now, having said that, I want to say this to you. As we go into the season, it's good and it's important that we don't sort of approach this fasting in just a casual way. We're going to give up a few meals and carry on with life as usual out without really changing or expecting anything in us to change. And I want to just share just very briefly with you a few scriptures this morning because I think it's important to realize an inconvenient truth. God does not regard all prayers. We have this thought that if I, God is just waiting and if I just, no matter what state I'm in, I just pray to God, I ask Him for something as I'm rushing about my day, that He's listening and He's just waiting and He's ready. And, and we, we sometimes treat God like a genie in a bottle. And I rub on that scripture and I expect the genie to, to do this. And then I rub on that scripture and I quote it and I wish, I wish, O oh Lord, and that God will act in this kind of way. <clears throat> Here are some things that matter to God when we come to Him in prayer. And I'm going to give you scripture references. I'll read them very quickly. We, uh, if you've got your devices, you're welcome to follow along with me. But the first thing that matters to God when we come to Him in prayer is our motives. Our motives. What is it that we are truly trying to get as we pray here? Now listen, <laughs> sometimes we can fool other people. Sometimes we can fool ourselves, but we cannot fool God. And sometimes the hardest lessons to learn in prayer when we are persevering in praying and praying and praying and we're not getting answers is the eventual realization that finally God breaks through and He shows us the true reason that we couldn't even see that we were praying in the first place. And He gives us that glorious opportunity to repent. James chapter 4 verse 3 in the New King's James Version says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. I always say, you should have asked a mister. Because you ask amiss, you ask wrongly, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. In other words, you're asking for things, but it's, it's all about you. The Amplified Bible says it this way, beautifully. You ask God for something and do not receive it. Because you ask with wrong motives, out of selfishness, or what is un, an unrighteous agenda. So that when you get what you want, you may spend it on your hedonistic desires. Hedonism, beautiful word. It's the pursuit of personal pleasure. It's that self-indulgence. It's that satisfaction of when we feel sorry for ourselves. When we feel hard done by, or when we feel we've done something to earn some kind of treat. Don't look at me in that kind of judgment. I have this all the time. You know, if I go for a run in the morning, I feel I deserve a bookshake or something. Some kind of reward for my labors. And of course, as I do that, I'm working against the exact thing I'm trying to accomplish by going for a run in the first place. These things present themselves in funny little ways in our lives. Oh, Lord, I've been paying my tithes so faithfully. You should be meeting my needs. Oh, Lord, I've done all of that we're praying to God and we're trying to justify all these reasons. And God is saying, you know, really at the center of your prayers is not me, not the kingdom of God, not those around you. It's you. And the truth is sometimes that's hard to see. And so as we press in, we need to realize that our motives matter to God. Another thing that matters to God is our faith. Our trust in God and in his promises matters to him. It matters deeply to him. This is one of the areas where God was grieved and I believe hurt by the nation of Israel as he delivers them with mighty miracles and brings them through and wants to send them straight into the promised land. And there was something that just came apart right here. Their unbelief, their inability to trust God. Just a few, uh, a few verses, a few chapters uh, back, James chapter 1, 5 to 7 says... If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. It matters that we trust Him and that we trust He is going to speak when we speak to Him. Another verse from Hebrews 11.6 It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely or diligently seek Him. So faith matters to God. Our motives matter to God. How you treat your loved ones matters to God. I've heard it said that your relationship with God will never go beyond your relationship with people around you. And the relationships with the people around you will never go beyond the level of your relationship with God. 1 Peter 3.7, God says, In the same way you husbands give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. So in other words, if we are not treating our loved ones right, don't expect God to be answering your prayers. Don't expect that we can be walking in blessing and favor in this area of our lives while walking in that which displeases God in this area. God does not compartmentalize our lives. Though we do, He does not. How we treat those who are in need matters to God. Proverbs 21.13 Those who shut their eyes to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. God, I need you to meet this need. I need you to do this for me. I need you to come through in this way. I want you to speak to this and this. God said, listen, there's these things around you that I've been calling you to pay attention to, to open your heart to, to be generous towards, to give of yourself towards, and you've shut yourself completely to them. You couldn't care less about them, but you want me to care about you. God's saying, it doesn't work that way. Are you aware of the needs around you and is your heart open to them or have you can close off yourself to your place of comfort? Finally, what we tolerate and allow in our lives matters. It matters to God. Psalm 66, 18 from the Amplified Bible. If I regard sin and, base, and baseness in my heart, that is, if I know there, it is there and I do nothing about it, the Lord will not hear me. If I know there's an attitude, if I know there's unforgiveness, if I know there's a sin, a habitual sin, and I'm not doing anything about it, I'm tolerating it. Perhaps even worse, I'm excusing it. I'm deflecting it. I'm blaming other people for it. Instead of dealing with the root of it, my own rebellion. And then I want to come to God and say, God, I want you to bless me in this state. God's saying... Hey, it doesn't work this way. So the point I'm making here is the way we come to God matters. Now, as I've already said also, sometimes we carry these things and we don't know them that. We can't see it yet. Sometimes we come and we do know, and, and then we've got to deal with it. Sometimes you've got to go, I remember there was a couple of mornings, actually I don't remember, I remember once where I had to take my wife into the prayer room before a service and say, I'm about to leave worship, but we just had this argument on the way to church this morning, and I can't do this in good conscience. I'm sorry, can we sort this? Do you remember that? We have to sort this out, because otherwise my worship is not acceptable to God. Or everything I do is just a part, it's just a game. Because God can see the heart. So then how is it that God does want us to come to Him? And there's a scripture in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 7, which talks about Jesus, the very Son of God. And it says this about him. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with loud cries and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. God heard Jesus' prayers not because he was Jesus, not because he was the Son of God, not because he had done mighty miracles or raised up 12 disciples or knew how to pray. He heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. My brothers and sisters, if we... Another way of saying it is the fear of the Lord, the awe of the fact that we have the privilege to come before Almighty God 
The creator of the heavens and the earth, who spoke it all into existence with his breath, has invited us into his presence to have intimacy and fellowship with him. He is not a genie. He is God Almighty. We are his creation. And when we come to him with an attitude of reverence, that is the attitude that enables not only, not only him to hear our prayers, but even more so us to hear what is on his mind. You know, there was a time when we used to kneel in church when we prayed. Why? Sometimes in my quiet times, I kneel because I'm praying to Almighty God. Sometimes I sit and talk to my dad with my feet up on the coffee table. Confess, I do. There are other times when I need to remember I'm addressing the Lord of glory. NIV says of Jesus, God heard his prayer because of his reverent submission. Another version says his godly fear. The focus of Jesus was constantly to submit to and obey the voice of the Father. And there was a heart's desire to conform to the will and the purposes of God. God, I'm here to hear from you. I want you to talk to me. You shape my thinking. You shape my expectations. You guide my motives. I'm here to engage with you and let you do what you desire to do rather than just bring you my shopping list of everything I think I need you to do. Jesus was totally focused on God's heart and God's mission. And what, is, what was God's heart? What still is God's heart? And what still is God's mission? Loving people. When Jesus was praying and he was crying out, do you think it was for his sake that he was doing so? It was for yours and for mine. And you know what? Let's be honest. Jesus was a man. He also was praying and crying out and dripping sweat as blood, dealing with his own stuff. But he came to that nevertheless moment saying, Lord, not just what I want. It is about what you want. It's that motive. God, you have called me here for purpose beyond myself. There's a world out there that doesn't know you, that has not experienced unconditional love. And you've positioned me in it to be the very demonstration of that unconditional love. And not only that, also the power of God, the gifts of God at work to bless and to minister to the needs of others. Now, I have one more long portion of Scripture before we close out. I want you to do something for me. Would you stand, please? only reason I'm doing this is it's one of those annoying things. We've been talking for a long time, and uh, I've got another good five, ten minutes. And I just stretch your legs. want to get your attention. I just think the last part is important. Greet somebody next to you. Say, God loves you. All right, please sit down. Grab your devices, grab your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's not a very long chapter. But this is a chapter where God talks about the kind of fast or the kind of attitude we need to come to Him with. I'm going to be reading it from the New Living Translation. So if you have a device, pop it on the New Living Translation. Isaiah, chapter 58. And we can read together and flow through this together. And while you're getting there, I'll just read the first verse for you. It says, Shout with the voice of the trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. So that's why I asked Luke to go and fetch this. Because in those times, the trumpet blast was a signal. It was a call. It was a call to arms. It was a call to war. It was a call to the bricks and the mortar of Jericho's walls to come unstuck. But it is a call. It's a call to attention. It's a call that says, come. You can read it together with us. But it's 58 we're going for. It's a call that goes. What's that? Did you hear that? What's that all about? They're calling. What are they calling for? Who is calling? Who's blowing that trumpet? What's this all about? 
got to come. There's an announcement, a proclamation that's being made that says, let's get your attention. It's not just run of the mill. Come out of your field and what you're doing. Come out of your workspace because I'm calling you to something. And, and here the, the Lord is saying, call to my people. And he says, tell them of their sin. What does that mean? Well, let's read because we've kind of alluded to this already this morning. They act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation, in other words, professional Christians, that would never abandon the laws of God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves. Don't you even notice? I will tell you why I respond. It is because you are fasting to please yourselves. And this is where God takes umbrage. He says, you're doing these things and you think that I'm really pleased because you're doing them. But I see beyond the action and I see to your heart and I see that you're not really doing them to get closer to me. You're doing them to get something from me. Even while you fast, he says, you keep oppressing your workers. In other words, you don't treat people well. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? Not treating your spouse well. Your loved ones. This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? In other words, all the outward stuff, all the stuff that people can see. And the truth is that we remove, we, 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 we emerge from these kind of religious activities satisfied, but unchanged. I have fasted. I have prayed. I have read my Bible. I have done all the right things. I went to church. I did all of this and I'm satisfied that I have done what I feel I should have done. But my heart is not changed. My heart is not broken for the state of those around me. I'm untouched by it. I'm cold. I'm hard-hearted. <clears throat> Verse 6. No, this kind of fast, this is the kind of fasting I want. And here it is for us to begin seeing and getting our hearts around what the Lord is trying to say. Free those who are only imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. In other words, consider others and perform righteousness. Do not let unrighteousness go undealt with. Justice. Share your food with the hungry. In other words, instead of you eating it, Prepare it, but give it to someone else. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Maybe it's time to not only spring clean our hearts, but spring clean our cupboards. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. You know that person? You only hear from them when they need something. Don't hide. Very simply put, what this is saying is get your eyes off yourself in your time of fasting and seek to minister to the needs of others. Say seek. seek. That means I'm looking for something. I'm looking for an opportunity to do something for somebody else in my time of fasting. Because that is the quickest way for me to get the attention of myself. Verse 8. Then... And this verse starts appearing, uh, this word starts appearing quite a lot in the rest of this portion of Scripture. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. What does that mean? In other words, would you believe in God that, that the f salvation, the word sozo, is a big word. It implies more than just the fact that you're going to heaven. It's the, the life force of God at work in you. That life force is going to come in a new dimension. 
then as you do this, you will begin to experience that life force of God, that zeal, that passion, that love from God in a way you never have before. Your wounds will quickly heal. The things you've been dealing with, the stuff you've been struggling to get over, will heal when you take your eyes off yourself and you begin putting them on someone else's knee. Your godliness will lead you forward. In other words, you're not going to stay stuck in the same place anymore. You are going to begin making progress in your faith. And the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then, when you call, the Lord will answer. Because you've begun sorting out that, it's, that whole self-preservation, caught up in my own world thing. Now when I'm praying, it's not all about me. And the Bible says, now the Lord says, you're getting it. I'm going to hear you. And I'm going to respond. You will, when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply, reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Stop pointing out where other people are getting it wrong. Instead, feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. We have it again. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. Isn't that amazing? Listen to me. Your light, the light that you carry that is already within you, will begin to shine like the noonday. I want to talk to you a little bit about this now. So I want you to get this imagery in your head. There's light within you. It's the presence of God. It's the Word of God. Amen? The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. In other words, what he's saying here, while fasting and you are feeling weak and you are feeling tired, when you feel that way, I want you to expend energy that you do not have on doing good for someone else. How do I expend energy that I do not have? You know what that's called? It's called the grace of God. <laughs> it's called the grace of God. How do we learn to cooperate with the grace of God? By looking to Him to provide for us that which we do not have. Lord, you're calling me to do these things I can barely concentrate. Well, get up. Go find someone to bless. Trust Him and you will begin experiencing the flow of His grace. In other words, His enabling ability where you have none. And here's the part that excites me as we round this out. As we sincerely engage like this, He says, some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities, of your families, of your workplace, of your communities. Then you will be known as a repairer of walls and a restorer of homes. In other words, you will begin, lives around you, things that are broken, will begin being restored through you. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight. As the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day. And don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your light. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now as I close this off, as I was meditating on this portion of scripture this week, the Lord showed me a picture of a room. If you can imagine yourself in a room with a window in the room and the curtains are drawn. Let me give you an analogy here. So here, I know these are blinds, but imagine they are curtains. And if you can, if you like, imagine we were here on, on uh, Friday night and it got dark and there was low shedding when we left. And you would have driven around the church in darkness, but you would have seen, even though the blinds were closed, there was light inside. But you couldn't see what was going on inside. And the image that God gave me is that of that old room where the window is there and the curtains are closed. Now what that means is this. I have my light in the room. I am satisfied. I have got what I need. But I am uninterested in what anybody else is doing outside. Not only that, I really don't want anybody else looking in. And there is a light that you carry within your heart. It's the presence of God. 
And he said to me that the light that is in you is not able to shine through the curtains of your self-concern. What are the curtains? My self-concern. My focus on my needs, on my struggles, on what I am going through, on my hopes, on my dreams, of what I think my life should look like, of what I maybe feel I deserve. And as long as I'm caught up in that space, the curtains of my heart remain closed. And God is saying, draw back the curtains and you will begin to see. In other words, your self-concern. Take away, take that out of the way and open the way for the window so that not only can you look out and see the needs of of those around you, but also so that those around you can look in and see what it is in your heart. The love of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Paul calls it this treasure in earthen vessels that is there and is rich and beyond our wildest dreams, but that is hidden behind a veil of our own self-concern. Well, what will people think of me if I open these curtains? But what if I open them and there's a crowd outside? Or what if I open them and the needs are more than I can handle? And all these kinds of fears and these voices hold us in this place where we rather say, I've got my light, I've got my Jesus, I've got my needs met, and I'm okay. And God is saying, this was never what I came to this world for. That is not Christianity at all. We've missed it through our own self-concern. So much of what is used as gospel today is focused on what you can get and what God can do for you. Now listen, praise God. There are awesome promises and I encourage you to claim every single one. Why? So that as you walk in them, you can be the usher of those blessings into the lives of others. So church, I sense the Lord saying this morning, peel back the curtains. Begin to look out. Begin to look through the eyes of the love of God to those around you, to the needs around you, your immediate family, your, 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 your workplace, the people you meet along the way. Perhaps it's, it's the poor in your neighborhood and there's that person that you've had your eye. I don't know how the Lord will lead you, but I do know this, that it's going to require greater sacrifice. It's going to require a, a listening ear. It's going to require a heart that desires to be used by God. And this is why we are calling a season and a time of fasting. Because, hey, we cannot manufacture these things. We cannot just flip a switch and go, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. We need the help of God. Amen? So this is why we're saying, God, we're going to put ourselves into a fast. We're going to seek your face. So that you would begin to do in us what we cannot do. But we commit that as we do this, we are prepared to pull back the curtain. Of just God bless me. And to come before you and say, God, how do you want to use me? How can I be a blessing? What is it that I should be seeing? And who is it that I should be allowing to see in? Would you stand with me? Our Father God, we thank you that. Your love for us is more than we could possibly imagine. We thank you, Lord, that your love for those around us is also greater than we could possibly imagine. And Lord, we want to thank you for how far you've brought us. We want to thank you for the things you've done in our lives. We thank you for the revelations that we are now walking in, for the sins that have been broken and forgiven, the the bonds that have been loosed and brought us into liberty. There are so many ways that you've moved in our lives. The provision you've poured out. The grace that you've given. Lord, we want to thank you that although you've brought us thus far, we know that we are not done yet and you are not done yet. And Lord, there's perhaps areas in our lives where we've become content, we've become so familiar with the way things work that we are virtually unmoved in doing them. Father, where this is the case, we ask, Lord, not just that you would forgive us for complacency, but, Father, that you would invigorate our hearts in the name of Jesus. Father, help us, I pray, as we engage with you in the season of fasting, 
Help us to hear your voice, how you would like us to fast. Maybe it's more than a day. But help us to engage with you in sincerity, knowing that the way we come matters. Help us to engage with you in deep reverence, acknowledging you as Lord. Help us, I pray, Father God, to hear your voice, identifying attitudes and mindsets that need to shift and change. Help us, I pray, Holy Spirit, to draw back the curtains of our own self-sufficiency and self-centeredness, that we may begin to let the light that you are within us shine for others to see. Give us a concern for those around us, Lord God. Help us to break out of just this worrying about our own little problems and our own things, that we may be vessels of honor sent by God to be ministers of your kingdom in the lives of the people around us. So, Father, this morning we look to you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you, Lord. There are things in our hearts that we are powerless to change. There are mindsets, Father, that are established that we cannot shake without your anointing. So, Holy Spirit, I pray this morning. As your people seek your face, that you will enable, that you would pour out your spirit on us, God. Open our eyes, I pray. Open our ears, I pray. And soften our hearts, Lord God, to that which you would say to us in this time and season. That we may walk with you and cooperate with you and know the joy of intimate fellowship with you. That we may enter a realm of fruitfulness that we have never known before, to the glory and honor of your name. So God, we say to you this morning, we are hungry. Thank you that we are going to be reminded of how hungry we are as we fast and we wait upon you. As we stop feeding ourselves for a while, that we may engage with you heart to heart. Thank you that you meet us there. In the mighty name of Jesus, the Lord's people said, We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.